You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. Hello and welcome to Sundays at Home. I'm Pastor Dan. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Today we're going to wrap up our story on Nehemiah. We're going to kind of bring it to a conclusion. And uh, so I'll just start off with a little bit of a refresher. And uh, I just want to let you know right up front, this message today is just as much for me as it is for any of you. Even just preparing it, it's just uh, hitting me. So my prayer for you today, before we even get started, I just want to pray. Can we, just, can we do that? Can you just pray with me that God will let this message speak to our hearts? Let's just take a moment. Heavenly Father, today we invite you as we look to your word. Would you just speak to each one? Lord, everybody listening to this message, Lord, I believe that you've got the ability to speak to us in a language that we can hear. And I ask that this message would truly speak directly to the hearts of every single man, woman, and child that is listening to this message today. God, would you speak to us clearly, and will we be drawn closer to you? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're talking about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was an Israelite, uh, a Jewish man, who was in exile. Again, the nation of Israel had wandered away from God. They had not been following the the laws that he had given them about right relationships. So they had been exiled. They had been cap- captured by uh, the, the Persian army at this time, the Persian Empire. And so uh, Nehemiah is serving in King Artaxerxes' court as the cupbearer. The cupbearer's job was to drink uh, whatever the king was going to be served to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. And uh, it wasn't a glamorous job, but it was a very uh, high high level job. It was very trusted. And so Nehemiah had uh, had a lot of, you know, good things going for him other than that he might be drinking poison every day. Uh, so that's the story of Nehemiah. As he's there, he, he sees his brothers come to visit him and he asks, you know, about the condition of Jerusalem, the city where he was from, hears that it's in ruins, and it just wrecks him. Something about hearing it just breaks his heart that his people, uh, there's only a remnant now, just a few people left in the city are just living in, in the rubble of the destruction of what was formerly such a great city. The history of Jerusalem throughout time has been just a, it's a really fascinating study. If you're ever interested, look into the history of Jerusalem from the beginning of its foundations to even today. Uh, so much importance around that city in our world's history. So that's where Nehemiah is from. His heart breaks. And we talked about what, what a burden looks like, how God burdened his heart so that he couldn't contain it. His face was sad. He just carried the weight. And how God burdens us for things, not because he wants to crush us, but because ultimately God wants to relieve suffering for somebody else. So when God burdens your heart for somebody else for their suffering, it's because God has a plan to relieve that suffering and he's going to use you. So anytime that you get a burden for something, pay attention. Then we talked about how there's uh, divine timing. The timing, so God burdened Nehemiah, but there was five months where he just continued to serve in the king's court and nothing changed. Uh, He just continued to, to go about his business, to do it the best he could, that God's got an understanding of perfect timing. There are moments, but then there come those divine moments, those sacred moments, those what we call kairos moments, where God says, now is the time. And that day came for Nehemiah, and the, he, the king said, hey, what can I do for you, Nehemiah? You look, you look like you're upset. And Nehemiah pours out his heart to the king, and God gave him this, this favor, this awesome moment, and said, you know, hey, whatever I can do, help you, sure, go back, rebuild the city. And so Nehemiah does that. He goes and he, he travels to Jerusalem, inspects it, and he gathers everybody says, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild these walls. And just like anything that, that matters, 
there's resistance, there's opposition. And so Nehemiah begins to encounter some severe opposition. And it comes from all sorts of directions. It comes from enemies that just have interests where Nehemiah is stepping on their toes. He's encroaching upon, their, upon what they have and they don't like it. And so they resist him. There's uh, opposition from internally, uh, from the family, from the, the people that are working there. They just are tired. They're complaining. They're despairing. We can't do this. And so we looked about how you know we can expect resistance anytime God burdens us to do something that matters. And that when we encounter that resistance, we just need to pray first of all, invite God into the picture. Then the next thing that we need to do is we need to protect those who need protecting. So Nehemiah equipped all the people that were being threatened with swords. So say, okay, let's, let's begin to defend the people. Uh, again, don't protect what doesn't need protecting. Only protect what is worth protecting or what needs our protection. And then finally, you press on and you, and you just keep at the work. And that's what Nehemiah did. And today we're going to pick up sort of the end of the story and see what, what happened here. And we're really going to talk about the miracle. The whole message series is called uh, you know, Memoirs of a Miracle. This is Nehemiah's story of how God did the miraculous. And so we're going to end with the miracle. And so we'll pick it up, Nehemiah, chapter 6, verse 15. Here's what we read now. It says, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Wow. So let's just stop there. 52 days. 52 days. I don't know if any job anywhere gets done in 52 days, especially not construction jobs, but especially not rebuilding a city wall at that time in history. I mean, this was so undeniably miraculous that the enemies, those who opposed them, had nothing to say. They, it says they, 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 had, they were frightened. They were like, ter- like, this is scary. Wow. Wait, 52 days? It was so awe-inspiring that they had finished in, in this amount of time, in such a short amount of time, that it was undeniably miraculous that there was divine activity at work here. And it humiliated, it frightened them. They, were, they, they said it's undeniable that God was at work. No question about it. And a few things I just want to pull out of that first off is that God finishes what he starts. He told Nehemiah, go rebuild the walls, and God made it happen. Just think about that. You know, months and months earlier, right? It's five months plus, so you probably go about seven months earlier where Nehemiah is just sitting in the castle. Life is good in the palace. Nothing, and then God puts a burden in him. And to think that seven months later, walls rebuilt. They're done. Rebuilt the walls. And here's what's so incredible about it. Not only did they rebuild the walls in 52 days, but they rebuilt the walls despite significant opposition, threats on their lives, accusations, despite the fact that because of those opposition, because of that resistance, that they now have one hand holding a sword and one hand holding trowels and bricks. So they're working one-handed, essentially. So they went from, we're going to rebuild the walls, to now we've only got half a, we've got one hand that we can even use to rebuild this, Plus, there's the negative energy that they're expending trying to deal with all the resistance. Not only that, these are not skilled builders in any way. It says the priests started, and then there were goldsmiths, and then perfume makers, led by a cupbearer. He's a professional drinker. Like, these are not people that rebuild walls regularly. So it's outside their skill set. 
they are compromised because of their, the opposition, because of the threats on their lives. And not only that, they don't even have great supplies. It says they're using bricks that were burned out. This was a formerly destroyed. They were using rubble to rebuild the city. So they don't have, like, uh, you know, Home Depot with, uh, you know, dropping off pallets full of, of supplies. This is just an absolutely miraculous thing that happens. 52 days despite all of these things. Truly incredible. God finishes what he starts, and he can do miracles with whatever you have in your hand. It's awesome. But that's also not the greatest miracle that happened in this story. Even though it was miraculous, the rebuilding of the walls was not the greatest miracle to happen in the story of Nehemiah. This story actually isn't about walls at all. It has nothing to do with walls, and we're going to talk about that. We originally considered calling this series uh, Fixer Upper. And for any of you HGTV fans, you'll recognize that from uh, the TV show by the same name with Chip and Joanna Gaines. Uh, I'm married to a lovely woman who loves to design things. And so I have seen many, many episodes of Fixer Upper. And it's a pretty funny show. They do a great job. And it's pretty cool, their eye for design. If you don't know the premise, essentially they'll find a house for someone who is looking to move. Or, and they will take a, usually it's a, a one that's a fixer-upper, it needs work, and they remodel it. They refurbish it, they rebuild it, and they go to town, and it's, a, it's pretty impressive what they can do. And they always find a way to make the house really special for the people that are going to live in there. They'll find some ways to make it unique to them, and they'll find out things about the family and just make it almost just very customized for them. All lots of personal touches, and the people are really what makes the restoration so special. When I think about God, God is the great fixer-upper. He is the greatest fixer-upper. It's really what he does. And the heart of God is always to rebuild people, not things. This is really important. We've got we to make sure we don't miss this. The heart of God, the great fixer-upper, is always to rebuild people, not to rebuild things. And it's important because God didn't burden Nehemiah so that the walls would be restored. God burdened Nehemiah so that the people would be restored. This was not about walls at all. It was never about the walls. The goal is always to get people in right relationship with God. And that word is, is shalom. It's a word we've referenced several times throughout this year. The word shalom means peace. And not just peace in general, like shalom, peace to you, but May you have right relationship with God, with each other, with yourself, with the world around you. It's this sense of complete peace with everything and anything around you. That's what shalom means. It's, it's all-encompassing peace. And the heart of God is always that people would be in right relationship with God and with each other. At this time in history, the people in Jerusalem were not in right relationship with God. They had wandered. They were broken. The relationship was estranged. And God burdened Nehemiah, not just to rebuild walls, but because he was desiring to restore the relationship with his people. The greater miracle here was that the people who had walked away from God and were no longer in right relationship with him were now restored to relationship with him. Because you can read on. After they rebuilt the walls, Nehemiah doesn't end the story there. There's still more to go. And we're going to pick it up at the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8, and we read this. It says, In October, 
When the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square, just inside the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. It says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So as you can imagine the scene, they rebuilt the walls, and then it says just a few days later, they gather everybody together, and they begin to read the word of God, the scriptures, to remind everybody, hey, this is what it's all about. It's not about the walls. It's about us having right relationship with God and reminding themselves of the promise they made. And then verse 10, Nehemiah continues. It says, Nehemiah continues, and go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. Third time we hear that phrase, sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they had heard God's words and understood them. See, there's something here about repentance. The people's hearts were grieved because they recognized the broken relationship. Yet, in that atmosphere, it was a sacred day, a sacred moment. It was a returning to God, a rebuilding, a restoration of their relationship with God. I'm just going to say today, it's a sacred day when a broken relationship with God is restored. Any day that a broken relationship with God is restored becomes a sacred day. Make no mistake, rebuilding the walls in 52 days was a miracle. I mean, that was absolutely incredible. Uh, Astounding to think about. But that was a piece of cake for God. That was absolutely nothing. God can do all of those things. He can provide financially. He can heal sickness. He can open doors. uh, He can stop enemies in their tracks. God can do whatever he needs to do on your behalf. He can do all the things. He can build cities. He can calm storms. He can do anything for you. We're often wowed by the things, and we should be. There's nothing wrong with being wowed by the things that God does. But the greatest miracles that God does reside in the human heart. See, Jesus healed, remember if in, this, in the New Testament it tells us that Jesus healed a paralyzed man. And he's talking to the crowd and he said, what's, what's, you know, what's, what's harder to do, right? Healing the man was the easy work. Forgiving this man's sins was going to cost Jesus his life. Restoring things is easy. Restoring hearts, that's a miracle on another level. To take people and restore them to relationship with God, that's something else Altogether, We can pray that God fixes our car or that gives us some money or that God heals our, you know, our, our, our pain, that God can do all these things. But for God to do work in us, that's truly the greatest miracle. How miraculous to take a heart filled with doubt and leave it filled with hope.
to take a heart filled with hate and leave it filled with love. Think about this. These are miraculous things. To take a a hurting heart and to leave it whole. To take a despairing heart and leave it full of faith. That's what God does. God wants to do so much more than rebuild walls. He wants to rebuild people. So what? So what? So let's start with you and me. What miracle needs to take place in your heart today? What miracle needs to take place in your heart today? What seems impossible for God to do in your heart? Many of us often are quick to just address when people say, yeah, what can I pray for you about? Or how are you doing? We'll talk about maybe some surface things and we'll throw out, you know, things that we're comfortable talking about. The easy stuff. But let me ask you today, what is the deepest point of pain in your life? Perhaps you're alone watching this. I don't know where you are. But wherever you are today, I want you to be honest with yourself. What is the deepest point of pain in your life? Where is the deepest place of brokenness within you? Because God wants to heal that. He wants that part of you to be healed. God wants shalom in every part of your life. Maybe you feel great guilt or hurt or fear or discouragement, and you don't even want to acknowledge that place of deepest pain. The people of Israel, listen, they had, they followed God, they walked away. They followed God, they walked away. They followed God. They, they, these people were broken. They were grieving because they recognized how much they had just disregarded what God was doing for them. And we can be the same way. You know, there are days of just like, God, how do you put up with me? God, so many days I know better than this. Or God, I struggle with things. Or God, I'm, I just feel like you can't heal certain parts of me. What is the deepest point of pain in you? I believe God wants to heal you. And he wants to start that work of healing right now. Right now. God promises he's never going to give up on us. He's never going to give up. And the only way for our deepest hurts and needs to be healed is for us to invite God to rebuild and to restore what is broken on us. And it starts with confession. It starts with confession. So wherever you are today, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. The people of Israel, when they they had already rebuilt the walls, the miracle stuff had happened there, but the miracle inside had yet to take place. They began to read the word of God. Perhaps today you just need to start reading the word of God because you have you've wandered away. Or perhaps you're not where you need to be. Crack open your Bible and begin to let it speak to you. Let the word of God speak to you. I read this week another pastor that said this, said when, when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. When you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. I just want to challenge you. If you're today at a place where you recognize you have brokenness inside you, God wants to heal it, open up the word and begin to let God speak to you. And it may bring about some pain. The people were crying. It may hurt. And our world is so quick to run from any type of pain. But we, of people of faith, know that godly pain, that godly sorrow, that when we have this sense, it's not just regret, it's not just despair, but it's repentance that leads to wholeness, that leads to health 
that God can take what's broken and restore and rebuild. That first we need demo day. We need God to come in and clean out and do work in us before he can begin the work of rebuilding. So I just want to encourage you today. Crack open your Bible. Allow God and invite God then to begin to do his work in you. And the foundation, the foundation of any rebuilding work, the foundation of a relationship with God is the foundation of any relationship. And that is trust. Will you trust God to come in and begin to do his work inside you? Will you trust God to fix up what inside you feels all messed up? See, when God begins to heal us, when God begins to heal you, the best part of this is that we are then released to be like Nehemiah. And God can now burden our hearts for others. But God can't burden our hearts for others until he has already worked in our own heart. So I want to just encourage you today. Invite God to be the fixer-upper in your own life. To do the greatest miracle, which is to work in you. To maybe evaluate your prayers and stop praying for God to change things. And start praying for God to change you. It's convicting for me today just as much. I just want you to know. I I don't know where it's, it's hitting you or not, but it's hitting me. I want God to burden my heart for others. It's going to break our hearts, but I also know that God is a God who promises that he will bring relief. That he is the God who relieves those burdens. And when he does it for us, he does it for others as well. And our world is filled with people that are hurting and they need us. To lead the way. See, when God begins to work in us, when God begins to do miracles inside of us, the same thing happens today that happened then. That everybody around recognizes that this was only accomplished by the hand of God. That life change, the healing, the restoration, the the transformation that they see in us, listen, that's miracle stuff. Yeah, we can tell stories about how God provided financially and how God did all sorts of miracles for the things, and that's good, and he does. But when God truly changes us, especially those deepest places of pain in us, let me tell you, it blazes brilliantly bright to the world around us that that's God at work. That's the miracle. That's the miraculous stuff. So I just want to pray for you today that God would do those kind of miracles in you so that he can also do those kind of miracles through you. We're going to close today in prayer. And uh, I just want to encourage you as we close here, as we close, we're we're going to sing just a minute. Would you invite God to do his great work in you right now? Whatever that place of deepest pain is, would you just... Put it in your hands like this and present it to God today. Maybe even speak it if you feel comfortable wherever you are. Speak it out, whatever that place of deepest. Say that word, name it, and allow God to begin to work on it right now. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, right now we invite you, God, to do your greatest work in us. Before you ever work through us, Lord, would you do your work in us. And God, right now we name that place of deepest pain. Lord, we name it right now. And God, we ask you, Lord, break our hearts for the brokenness inside of us. 
And Lord, you also give us hope that you will not just leave us in this pain, in this burden, but that you will now begin the work of, of relieving that burden, of relieving that pain, that brokenness inside us. The greatest miracles are not the things you do, but the people you change. Lord, you can heal us, and we invite you to do that today. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters all over that are listening to this message today. Would you bring healing to them? Would you rebuild our lives on the sure and strong foundation that is Jesus Christ? That is your grace and your mercy and your love and your kindness. Lord, like the prodigal coming home, Lord, this becomes a day of celebration. This becomes a sacred day. The day that we begin the process of healing. Lord, that's a sacred day. A day of celebration. So would that be our story today? Would that be our title today? That look what the Lord has done for me. God, we just invite you to be at work in us today. You are so good. Lord, I pray that you would continue it and bring it to completion. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.